From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield will be back on the program next week. So it's all about your pets today. It's time to get your pet questions answered. Do you have a cat or a dog at home, or maybe both? Do you have a question about an exotic pet like a rabbit, snake, or ferret? Also, later in the show, we welcome back our friend George Phillips, the paleontologist from the Mississippi Museum of of science. You can join the conversation this morning by giving us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number, 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield is out this week. She'll be back on the program next Thursday. So it's all about your pets today. Time to get those pet questions answered. Do you have a cat or a dog at home or maybe both? Or a question about an exotic pet like a rabbit, a snake, or a ferret. Also, later in the show, we'll welcome back our friend George Phillips, who's the paleontologist uh, at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. So join your con- our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Reach us by calling one 672 7464, or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Dr. Major. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Doing good. Thank you. Well, I wanted to start out, uh, you know, I have a cat at home, and I was uh, looking this morning. I noticed, uh, did not for the first time, obviously, but uh, whiskers. And so I was wondering... Um, I, I imagine they're not like antlers where they get bigger as as the animal gets older, but uh, do they reach like when they're adult a certain size and, and that's it? I think you're right. And uh, basically uh, there are cats that have exceeding, just like people have exceedingly long eyelashes or whatever. That's, can't compare that to an eyelash, but still the uh, whiskers, once they get mature, uh, a mature cat is they aren't going to grow any longer i don't believe uh we see some that have some very long whiskers uh others are relatively short and oddly enough some cats where you have a group of cats some cats will literally kind of chew off the whiskers of other cats <laughs> i'm not sure exactly why other than it gets to be a habit and uh it's whiskers are interesting yeah uh, and that thing, though, it's not like a shed thing. It's like that's their set, and they've got them for their entire life. They can shed them, and sometimes they grow back, and sometimes they don't. But uh, usually they, they retain for life. Uh, and, you know, there's controversy about what the cat uses the whiskers for, but they are they do have a tactile end where they can literally maybe feel their way uh, through tight places, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, there are whiskers on their paws too, or at least hairs that look like whiskers. There's hairs. Not not all the cats have these, but usually it would be around the uh, uh, little accessory uh, carpal type. Uh, if you look, if you look at the back of the leg, a lot of times there's mm-hmm. a little whiskers there. So yes, they. But do they serve any purpose? Honestly, I don't know. Not those. That's interesting, yeah. All right. Uh, We've got an early phone call on the line, so why don't we say good morning to Thomas in Hattiesburg. Hello, Thomas. Hello. Go ahead. Okay, we've got a a cat, about 11 pounds, been in good health for four years, and all of a sudden, about six months ago, started losing hair. We carried to vet, gave him a steroid shot, and that sort of helped for a little bit. And now he's starting to lose hair again. And so we carried him back to the vet. She gave him some more steroids. Right. She said, well, uh, cats, you know, we don't know. They could be allergic to anything. So right. that's our problem. Right. Where, where's the hair loss occurring? Well, it's underneath the two back legs was the main source of the hair loss. Right. And then uh, 
on its on the outside of its uh, back legs, and those are the main okay. areas. So we're pretty naked uh, in the groin area where where the cat's loss of hair yeah. on the inside. Yes. yes. Uh, some people would call this fur mowing. Uh, uh, a lot of cats will lick excessively and it literally uh, remove hair. I suspect that's what's happening now. I could be wrong not seeing the cat. Yes. Sir. But uh, it might be that uh, the cat is stressed out for some reason. We don't know why. Well, why does a cat stress anyway? You you don't always know that. But uh, I'm saying there may be something. If you've changed food, it might also be an uh, uh, indicator. But uh, usually yeah. if you haven't changed the food, I would say probably not. Uh, you might consider, I know this sounds kind of hokey in a way, but some environment enrichment. Uh, get you some boxes, put out some boxes, cut holes in them. Uh, something for the cat to do. Maybe put a small ladder up uh, where the cat can go up up the ladder. Just do some different things in the room. Yeah, uh, I'm just thinking now. So, uh, oh yeah, none of those may work. The steroids probably work temporarily, but at some point they tend to play out and not continue. Okay. Uh, so, uh, good luck with that. It consider also. I I mentioned stress because cats do a lot of things with stress. But but, uh, you might consider there is a pheromone collar that is available, has maternal uh, pheromones. Uh, Sometimes that might help uh, change the cat's attitude a little bit. That's P-H-E-R? P-H-E-R-M-O-N-E, pheromone. Uh, You get it at the vet? Most of the vets have it. You might have to call and see. But it's a collar that you can put on, usually lasts about 30 days. And in some cases, that does help change the attitude a little bit. All right. Well, they, he he goes around picking on two two of our other cats, and those, okay. and then we have to get on to him. Well, that that might that might help even that just calm him down a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll tell my wife, and I appreciate it, sir. You're All welcome. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas, for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's a pet day, so if you have a pet question for Dr. Troy Major, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got another call on the line. We go to Alabama for Lewis's call. Good morning, Lewis. Oh, yes, good morning. I've got a question for Dr. Major. Um, my cat has been taking amitriptyline orally because he's um, extremely aggressive with the other cats in the house. And we're going on vacation, so our vet recommended that we try a topical amitriptyline so it can be applied by our pet sitter. And um, we've tried it for a few days now, and it doesn't seem to be as effective as the oral. And I was wondering if that was was common or if there are any tips for applying that topical amitriptyline. Right. Uh, I'm sure it had to be compounded, I guess. Yeah. And, and uh, you're applying it to the inside part of the ear. That's correct. And uh, it's just the absorption rate and everything is not the same as it would be giving the tablets. And I know I hate to say the same thing. and just talked to the gentleman just a minute ago, but the pheromone collar uh, might help calm some anxiety as well. So, right. and, I, and we have tried that in okay. the past, and it has... <laughs> Very okay. Okay. Well, it's a thought. So, uh, you might talk to the vet. They may want you to apply just a little bit more, since it doesn't seem to be having the same effect as the tablet. Okay, I'll give them a call back. Thanks. Right. Take care. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks for the call. If you have a pet question for Dr. Troy Major this morning, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. The phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Major, I noticed in the news United Airlines had another bad bit of public relations in that uh, a giant rabbit that was uh, being sent, I think, from somewhere in England to an owner, I guess maybe in California, uh, died. Uh, not in the plane, but apparently while the while the animal was in the cargo hold or somewhere in, in I think, O'Hare Airport. Um, it brings up a question. Uh, traveling with pets, um, what are your thoughts about pets on an airplane? You know, uh, pets have been shipped uh, on an airline in the hole before. I mean, it's not an unusual thing. I always recommend, if possible, that, you know, take the pet on board with you, but it's not always possible. Uh, 
I'm not sure the circumstances. I did see the article, uh, I guess, online or somewhere about the rabbit dying. And these things can happen, and I'm not sure exactly what the circumstances were. Uh, A lot of times stress, especially in a rabbit, uh, could be a big factor with that. Uh, My suggestion, if you're planning on taking a pet on uh, or shipping a pet, let's say, make sure that the airline understands uh, and, you know, go online and check and see what their uh, success rate is also. That's a good idea. But uh, most of them are shipped successfully. There is a service, and I don't know the name of it, there is a service that uh, uh, will actually pick up pets at the airport and this sort of thing and take care of them while they're in transit if necessary. Uh, and I guess maybe uh, a little bit of a tranquilizer or something to help the pet not be too overly stressed uh, during the, the trip. Also, though, I guess maybe uh, the carrier, I, I wonder about temperatures in the hold and if, if right. that might, might need to be a concern also. Well, it's, it's the airlines are very uh, strict about the ambient temperatures. In other words, if it's uh, below a certain temperature or above a certain temperature, they don't like to ship. And one of the reasons would be when it's in the cargo area, off of the airplane. You don't want to uh, overheat, uh, this sort of thing. Um, I would say that uh, tranquilizers are questionable because it may make the pet wobbly. Uh, It might not be able to balance itself as well, you know, in the carrier. Uh, And some animals do quite well with tranquilizers in traveling. Uh, It is an issue, and uh, sorry the rabbit died, but we don't I don't know the whole circumstances behind that. Right, and I, I, I don't think that whole story has come out yet. Uh, last time I was flying, though, the, my seatmate uh, had a cat with her in, in a carrier that, you know, on board, and she st- uh, put him as the under the front of the seat uh, uh, type of thing. And I was thinking to myself, my cat, I don't, I mean, and you could, the, the cat made nary a peep the entire flight. And I was thinking, I don't think my cat uh, would, would do that well on an airline. But you got to know your own pet uh, and when you're making uh, those kinds of decisions, that's for sure. Yes, each each one is different. Uh, I've seen some of them that will meow incessantly. Uh, those cats, our dog would need a tranquilizer. Not that the dog's meowing, but uh, <laughs> making a lot of noise would need a tranquilizer, especially uh, if you're in the uh, uh, passenger area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that, yes, uh, animals are, are moved every day on airplanes. They usually have a limit of one or two, depending on the airline, that can be on board. Uh, daughter brought one back from China, and uh, that's a long trip, but the cat made it fine. All right. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got a number of folks lined up with pet questions ready to go. We're looking for your pet question as well, and we still have some open phone lines. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one 672 We'll be back with more Creature Comforts after this short break. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. In 1992, when the L.A. riots spread into Latino neighborhoods, public safety seemed to take a backseat to immigration enforcement. I needed the National Guard to protect the people of this area, and I needed to protect the businesses. They gave me the Border Patrol. It was totally an insult. I'm Ari Shapiro. How hundreds of people were detained despite an LAPD policy called Special Order 40. That's this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. You're listening to Creature Comforts on NPB Think Radio. To call the show... Dial one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or email animals at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. It's a pet day today. A little bit later in the show, we hope to welcome George Phillips, the paleontology curator from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. But right now, uh, we are taking your pet questions, so give us a call if you have one. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Appears to be Cat Day on the air. Got a number of cat questions, including one coming from Amy in Poplarville. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. What's your question? I have an elderly cat. He has a large black cat, and he loves to stick his tongue out, <laughs> especially when he's happy. He's got a very large tongue. He's like a, he's like a miniature Gene Simmons. <laughs> okay. Why does he do this? Well... You know, I could answer all kind of funny things about that, but I'd say we we see some animals that think your tongue is actually too big for their mouth almost. <laughs> we see some dogs especially that stick their tongue out all the time. I'm not sure why this cat would, if he's perfectly fine in every other way, I don't think I would worry about it. Um, I, I'm not sure. I wish I could answer that. Does he do it all the time? Well, he's content, I think. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess it's a form of relaxing. He probably is doing that, but that's a little unusual. I don't think I've ever seen a cat that would keep its tongue out for any length of time. Of course, my cat wants to come lick me <laughs> when I'm trying to take a nap. But anyway, she's, you know, they come sit on my head most of the time. But anyway, I, I, I wish I could answer that. I have no idea why this cat's tongue sticks out like it does. But if he's healthy, eating well, uh, probably is a sign of contentment. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call, Thank Amy. Uh, let's move on next. We've got uh, Kathy in Gulfport. Good morning, Kathy. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, I have a cat, and I got her at two weeks old as an orphan bottle baby, and I've raised, hand-raised her. Um, she's aggressive. She's aggressive with any guests that come into my home. I have to lock her away if my granddaughter comes over. She's aggressive with me on a fairly regular basis. Um, and I was wondering if it's because perhaps her mother was feral and if they lose that feral quality in if, if you bring them into their home, to your home, is it inherited or... Perhaps is it brain damage from her being orphaned and, right. and hand-raised? I don't know. I would say that it's probably more psychological than it is uh, of being a feral cat. Here's, here's the situation as I see it, and we see this quite often. When a kitten is raised as an orphan by itself, it tends not to have the play that, if you notice kittens, they play pretty rough. Uh, if you have two or three kittens, they're going to be rough and tumble, biting each other, picking on each other. Those cats seem to socialize a whole lot better than one that's raised uh, by itself. And I'm sure there are people that would contradict that because their cats are so sweet. But a lot of the cats that we see that are aggressive, and especially towards strangers, they literally hide behind the couch or whatever, run out and bite them. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you've got your back turned, the cat may run up your leg uh, mm -hmm. and bite. Uh, it's very difficult to change that habit, and I don't know that you can. Best thing we can say would be to keep isolated when company is there, especially small children. Mm -hmm. And uh, you might try some of the pheromone-type products that we had mentioned earlier. Uh, I was wondering also what your thoughts on Prozac for pets are. I haven't used any Prozac in, in cats Mm -hmm. I use it fairly extensively in dogs. It's a cheap, uh, the generic Prozac is very cheap, mm -hmm. and it works well for a lot of them from the standpoint of thunderstorms uh, and aggressiveness. The problem with giving anything for aggressiveness, such as Prozac in a, in a dog, for example, sometimes they can override that when you least suspect it. So it's very iffy uh, for the aggressive animal. As far as the uh, cat, there is one product. I don't know if you can give this cat a pill or not. Mm -hmm. It's called Zilkeen, XYL. I may spell it wrong. X-Y-L-K-E-N-E. -E. Uh, okay. Your vet possibly has that. You, it's in a powder form, I mean a capsule, so you could put it on the cat's food. It would mm -hmm. be worth a try to see if that helps some. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. 
Thanks for the call, Kathy. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's Pet Day with Dr. Troy Major. So if you have a pet question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Next, we have Carrie calling in from Tennessee today. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. Go ahead. My question is, my cat is maybe four years old. I think he's three. And he has gotten to where now he will not move out of the driveway if I'm coming into the driveway or if I'm backing out. And it's gotten to the point now where I have to stop my car, get out of the car, move the cat, get back in the car and pull into the driveway or the same when I'm leaving. And I know that this started happening with my cat when I was growing up and my mother accidentally ran over our cat because you know, she thought he had moved and he had not. Um, but that was a much older cat. So I was just wondering, do I just have a lazy cat or is there something? I mean, is there a reason why they do this or is he just being a cat? Is he in the same spot all the time? No, it changes. Okay. It just does not feel the need to move when I'm pulling in with my very large SUV. But he can hear, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he can hear and he'll look right at me. And if you blow the horn, he doesn't move? Doesn't faze him. Okay. Uh, there might be a product or something you could put in that area that would uh, deter him. Uh, you don't want to do anything that's going to hurt him, though, as right. far as chemicals. Uh, gosh, that's, I've not had this problem before. <laughs> well, I <laughs> mean, that's fine. he just may be a lazy cat, and <laughs> I just have to keep moving him around. It sounds like he's kind of a dominant cat. He just like he thinks yeah. he's the, he's the prince or the king, and he doesn't want to doesn't want to move for you. Yeah, but he definitely I, is in charge, and his name is Boss. So okay. I think it's gone to his head. He's taking it to heart. Well, yeah. if a listener has a suggestion or anything, uh, certainly give us a call. But that that is an unusual situation because most of the cats, now older cats that are deaf or arthritic, may not move. I understand that, but this cat should okay. should know better. Let us know if you let us let us know if you come up with a solution. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. All right, Carrie. Thanks for calling in. Uh, as I said, it is uh, not necessarily by design, but uh, lots of cat questions to get to. Uh, you dog owners and other pet owners, you can send in your questions as well. Call them in at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Meanwhile, we'll plug on with some cat questions. Next, Linda is in Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Go ahead, please. Yes, uh, I have a cat, and I've had her for about two years. Uh, she has a sensitive stomach, so I had to get her that uh, that uh, blue wilderness. But uh, from time to time, she she uh, spits up the food just a little. She spits up, and she spits it up in a, a place where I can see it. Yes, and. Uh, for the past week, she's been, uh, you know, having a BM on the on the floor, uh, anywhere on the rug, and uh, I have the litter box. Yes. So I don't know what's wrong with her. Is the uh, irritable bowel situation uh, pretty much under control? Uh, as far no. as no diarrhea. No, it's no diarrhea. Right, okay. She, her stool is falling. Okay. I would suggest maybe a, another litter box. I know it doesn't work well for a lot of people, but at least put another one out in the general area where she's going. Uh, the throwing up, is she a long-haired cat or medium, short? Uh, medium range. I don't want to cause any problems with the uh, bowel problem, but it might be good to give her a laxative like Catlax or one of those laxatives at Laxatone maybe once a week or every other week just to see if that would help with throwing up. What about worming her? Uh, well, if she hasn't been dewormed, it probably would be wise uh, to do that. Uh, she's an inside cat or inside-outside? Inside. Okay. Yeah, because she's right. been declawed. Right. understand. And that's good to keep them inside anyway. But my point would be, I guess it would be wise. You have a vet there. You could take a yeah. stool, stool sample by and have them check and see if there are any, any parasites, any worms. Okay. Okay. Thank, thank you. Well, best of luck to you. Thank you. Thanks uh -huh. for the call, Linda. Uh, let's go next to 
Uh, Ronald has called in from Jackson today. Good morning, Ronald. Go ahead. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Listen, I had a question. I've been living uh, in my house about six months, and there's an elderly lady who stays next door to me. And evidently her son got incarcerated, and she kind of inherited a cat, a female cat. Now that cat's having baby cats. There's about eight or ten cats around here, and some of them are quite aggressive. And she's wanting to get rid of some, and I thought about calling the Animal Cruelty Society. But the situation with that is if they come, the cat's just going to run into the house. I don't know how they could get there. How would you think I should address that? My suggestion would be to call Mississippi Animal Rescue League, and they do have... Uh, Live traps, in other words, traps that would not hurt a cat. You can put food in it, and the cat can be caught that way. It would be wise and possibly work with them about getting uh, these cats spayed or neutered. Yeah, uh, she wants to keep the, the, the mother, the older one, to have her spayed. Right. There's just so many outside cats well, coming around. There's all kinds of cats that were near the house. Right. And some of them are getting sort of aggressive, so we were concerned. And she is, just is, to get rid right. Of is the mama cat inside? They're all outside. Okay. Well, right. Well, they're obviously coming for a food source, too, just like wild animals do. And she's probably putting out food for all of them. She is. So she that, is. That, that attracts the cats. If she can figure out a way to feed this cat that she wants to keep, I don't know if she can catch it or not, but uh, the cat that she wants to keep it needs to be fed separately and stop putting out food for these other cats. The Animal Rescue League will work with you as far as trying to, uh, you may have to put a deposit for the uh, trap, but they, they will work with you on that. As, unless things have changed, they will uh, so-called let you use one uh, to catch a cat. So maybe that will help. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, Ronald, thanks for your call. Uh, let's go next. Our friend Kathleen from Osaka on the line. Good morning, Kathleen. Hi. I've got a couple of tips. I realize that when you adopt a pet or take in a cat that you don't know the history of, it's going to be difficult sometimes. Um, the cat that I've got now, everybody knows Phoebe by now, it took me two years to get him to sit in my lap. Had I not been retired and been able to take care of him, this would not have happened. So a lot of holding, a lot of patience. It does pay off most of the time. And as far as the driveway goes, believe it or not, stuff like... I know it sounds funny, might sound like a deli. Take some onions, put them in a food processor to where they're liquid, and where that cat lays, lay that onion stuff on there. <laughs> they usually don't like the smell, and they won't go back to it. You might find something else more uh, compatible that you can find, or check and see maybe that you notice if they don't like the smell. Some cats don't like the smell of oranges. But uh, I think orange. sometimes the orange oil is, um, what do they call it, not poisonous, but gets them really right. sick, so you've got to be careful. Well, good suggestion, and uh, hopefully that would help. Uh, okay. Obviously, obviously don't use catnip. Lap. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate right. your call, Kathleen. Good to hear from you, Kathleen. Let's uh, take another break here on Creature Comforts. We uh, uh, had a pet day today with Dr. Troy Major answering some pet questions. And we've got some open phone lines, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Back with more after this. steps to your front door mpb news covers the state like no one else our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life mpb news online at mpbonline.org and on mpb think radio this is an mpb think radio podcast to hear previous shows visit mpbonline.org or download the mpb public radio app to listen on your iphone or android phone on demand 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield out this week. She'll be back on the program next week. It's been a pet day. We're going to take a couple more pet questions, but we also have our guest in studio this morning. It's George Phillips, the paleontology curator for the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're going to talk to George in just a few minutes, but we do have these couple of pet questions to work through. So we start again in Pontotoc. Wanda has called in today. Good morning, Wanda. Hey, how are you? Good. What's your question for us? Well, my cat is 16 years old. She, in the last few months, has gone blind, and the vet says there's really nothing we can do. She does bump into things, but she will eventually find her way. And I wondered if it's cruel to let her continue like this since she is blind. She's inside, right? Yes. Okay, and she can find the litter box? Yes. And, and her food. And her food and water. You know, as long as she's not suffering, I mean, it's not cruel. I mean, she she's gonna, she knows her way around the house, I'm sure, from from what worries. you say. And if she, know. certainly if she hurts herself, mm-hmm. uh, you'd have to consider uh, the alternative. Uh, but until that time. I think I would hang in there with her if I were you. And uh, okay. I've got a little dog that's very similar. He's 17 and a half. And... Uh, he surprises me occasionally and makes me think he can see, but he knows when the treat bag is open. <laughs> and uh, and he can find them, I think, by smell. When I put them on the floor, I kind of make a game out of it. And he, he does okay. So hang, hang in there with her and gets where she is. Uh, quality of life deteriorates, certainly. Uh, you could consider euthanasia. Okay. Right. Thank you for your help. All right. Thanks, Wanda, for your call. Uh, let's go now. Bill has called in from Vicksburg today. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, how are y'all? Good. What do you have for us? Uh, comment on the lady with the cat in the driveway. Okay. Uh, tell us this possibly he's parking at the store. So, sorry, Bill, we didn't hear what you said. Fox P. Fox P. Uh-huh. He's parking at the store. Okay, all right. That's a good idea. Uh, all right, uh, Bill, thanks for the suggestion. And that's kind of, I guess, really... Uh, we had another one that, you know, just throw water at the cat, but that would, I guess, Dr. Major, be kind of the best idea would, if the cat enjoys sitting out in the driveway and, and doesn't want to move, just do what you can to make that not a good place for the cat to want to sit. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, what can you say? The cat is, his name is Boss. Yeah. And he's living up to it, so... <laughs> Anyway, good luck with that. And I, I did not know that they sold Fox P at a spo- sporting goods store, but I guess it uh, was some sort of hunting-related thing. But that's an interesting suggestion, but it sounds like a good one as well. And as uh, Kathleen mentioned, maybe uh, pureed onions. Again, something uh, to make that an unpleasant place to be, and he might find another place to go sit and not move from. Uh, we now welcome back one of our favorite guests on Creature Comforts, George Phillips, for paleontology curator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. George, always good to have you with us. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be here. Uh, we uh, There is an exhibit, I think, still going on at the museum, the Titanoboa exhibit. Uh, remind us again of, of what that is and how has it been going? <laughs> well, they started dismantling it. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, but it, what a fantastic exhibit. We had pretty good attendance while it was there, but it was the giant snake from Columbia, the 48-foot-long um, boid-type snake, a member of the boid family. That lives in or lived in an environment that's now inhabited by the green anaconda there in northeastern South America. Uh, and I understand that there's a lecture coming up uh, Tuesday, May 2nd, that you wanted us uh, to know about. Absolutely, because I am presenting the lecture. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always interested in drawing attention to myself. No. Uh, the lecture is about the paleontology program at MMNS and the history. Uh, that has accumulated over next year will be 40 years of paleontological research and education and programs uh, in that section of the museum. Uh, I'm the third curator. I've been there for about 14 years now, uh, so probably not not even quite a third of the um, history of the program. But uh, there's been, like I say, there's been three of us. Uh, a lot has gone on. Over 40 years, including digging up of several ancient whales in Mississippi, dinosaur discoveries. Dinosaurs were almost unknown from Mississippi until the program came into existence, at least not locally known. There was obscure scientific literature that uh, illustrated a couple of bones from the last, uh, well, 19th century. 
But um, the program has brought to the uh, forefront, and it's uh, now 39 years of of paleontological research, outreach, and education, all kinds of discoveries um, from South Mississippi to North Mississippi, although most of those discoveries have concentrated in Central Mississippi. Um, We've taken uh, expeditions to Yazoo County, Clark County, Scott County. Uh, We're often found in landfills. And you think about uh, one of the things that we search out are holes in the ground. (laughs) Well, uh, to get a landfill, you have to dig a big hole in the ground. <laughs> and we've been in several landfills throughout the state investigating those holes. Thank you to uh, Waste Management Company. They've always been generous. Um, we've pulled a, a, a 58, 60-foot-long whale out of one of those landfills. Wow. And a uh, estimated, not the whole skeleton, just parts of the skull, but the size of the skull indicates that we got a 35 to 38-foot-long giant marine lizard out of a landfill in Houston, Mississippi, it is very likely that while digging the landfill there, the borrow pit, that they took off with the rest of the skeleton. <laughs> but that, those are the, that's what happens, you know, when you're digging a big hole in the ground. Um, in the last couple of years, a dinosaur has come to light in, in uh, Boonville, Mississippi, and the uh, landowner may have taken part of that dinosaur to create a levee for a pond. So it happens, and we never would have seen these bones if people hadn't been digging big holes in the ground. So 39 years of chasing around big holes in the ground and road <laughs> cuts, landfills, uh, creek beds. We spent a lot of time in creek beds, and uh, a lot has been discovered. Uh, the, spec- the specimen collection now stands at about 65,000 individual uh, oh. voucher specimens and the holdings uh, just fossil holdings that's just fossil holdings at the museum of natural science so it's been it's been a fun 39 years and i'm so glad i was available to be to take part in at least 14 maybe more <laughs> <laughs> um but i imagine not only is that to, for the public to learn more about the fossils but also i would imagine maybe uh, professionals from other parts of the country would come to study Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, We've had researchers from all over the world, really, primarily um, Western North America, from Mexico, um, uh, Canada. uh, One, uh, No, we've had two researchers from Canada. Um, The other side of the pond there in England, um, the Netherlands. uh, We've had a couple of people from from, uh, London, or at least from Great Britain. And right now, um, my colleague in Germany, in Munich, is trying to get a travel grant so that he can come to Mississippi and Alabama and do research on a type of uh, coral relative called octocorals. So I just had to help him with his grant proposal so that he can get this funding to come visit us in either October or April, we're not sure. But he'll be chasing a very understudied and almost unstudied group of organisms in the fossil record here in the south and actually essentially in most places uh, and as always you brought us some uh, uh, show and tell so what what did you bring in with you today this is a relatively recent discovery and a recent donation by the mississippi actually let me correct that the north mississippi gem and mineral society although the mississippi gem and mineral society does a lot of work for us and i'm sure they'd be glad to take credit for this but <laughs> They've uh, donated several things, the Jackson Club, but this is actually from the Tupelo Club, the North Mississippi group, and uh, a couple of prominent members of the group um, have donated this in in recent months. It is a fossil sea turtle here on the left, my left, and I don't know if the webcam is on, but uh, we've got it laid out in three different components. We've got the brain case, we've got the skull face, which goes on top of the brain case, of course. And we have the lower jaw. So essentially the same things in the same basic things in the modern sea turtle skull. This is from a Kemp's Ridley, except I can't remove the brain case on this. We've decided not to attach the brain case on the fossil skull because uh, there is interest in measuring the brain case uh, maybe getting an estimate of volume and different bones that compose the roof of the mouth here. And that's for systematic work or um, to find out exactly how it's related to other sea turtles at that time and today. And it always seems like uh, the the fossil uh, creatures are bigger than modern day. Is that generally the case? 
Uh, it, not always. Uh, at this time period, uh, 72 million years ago, there was a really big sea turtle that has been touted as the world's largest that ever lived. And we have a few bones of that fellow, uh, estimates of 10 to 12 feet and carapace length or, or shell length, which that's an awfully big sea turtle, much larger than the modern leatherback. Um, there are a few uh, relatively complete skeletons of that thing uh, around the world. Not many. I think uh, two or three. One is at the Natural Science Museum in Dallas. One is at the Vienna Museum of Natural History in Austria. But we just have a few bones. I couldn't bring those in, Kevin, because they're awfully big. <laughs> just the individual elements of the skeleton are too cumbersome to carry around. Um, but this is from a much smaller sea turtle here. Uh, but there have been dinosaur-sized things uh, in the past and in the recent past, too, if you think of the Ice Age. Uh, and also, if I remember correctly from an earlier visit, we do have a, Mississippi, a state fossil in Mississippi, and it is a shark. Is that right? It's actually a whale. A whale. I but, was close. But interestingly enough, Kevin, uh, the form of this whale... Uh, this is before um, whales uh, that we the whales that we have today the the rather um, quote unquote advanced whales or very derived whales we had today they still had a, re- a rather um, so to speak primitive form back then and if you look at their mouths they look like uh, a toothy shark or a crocodile in fact many a kid has come down that staircase and been face to face with the big one hanging from the balcony or near the balcony. And and if they've never been in the museum, they automatically mistake it for a giant crocodile. But uh, no, it is a type of whale, uh, very toothy whales with jagged teeth in both cases. And the uh, whale that inspired that legislation from the early 1980s is a whale that we affectionately called Ziggy. And she, so to speak, is hanging from the uh, fossil wall there in the uh, lower part of the atrium in the museum. And she's sort of the iconic um, fossil for the state of Mississippi. And it it was no contest in uh, the late 70s when they were campaigning to make that the state fossil, because at the same time they were campaigning to um, fund the erection of this whale, the um, preservation and reconstruction of this whale, because she was in many pieces when she was found. But, yeah, the fossil whale, um, but we also have another fossil that's a state emblem, and that's petrified wood, a very ubiquitous fossil in Mississippi found from one corner to the next. But it is actually our state stone. We don't have too many native rocks in Mississippi. So uh, we're one of the few states, I think, that has a fossil for both the state fossil and the state stone. All right. We need to take one final break uh, this hour when we get back. Uh, let's open up the phone lines if you have any final pet questions or uh, something related to fossils for our guest, George Phillips. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back to wrap up the program after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And we're visiting with our guest, George Phillips, who's the paleontology curator for the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. George has been promoting his uh, lecture coming up this Tuesday, May 2nd at noon, about the history of fossil collecting in Mississippi and at the museum. Uh, We've got some open phone lines and a little bit of time left if you have a pet question or a fossil question. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 
672-7464. We had a caller earlier about a cat that refused to move out of the way of, I think, the driveway. And uh, we've been uh, getting a lot of suggestions and a lot of folks keep saying a water, a squirt gun, a water gun, something about that, maybe a water bottle. Uh, That works with some cats, although I had one cat who was quite mischievous. And uh, if you shot water at him, he would turn around and look at you and like, really? Come on now. Uh, So it might work. It might not. It depends on your particular cat. Also, I've heard, you know, if you have like a a can of coins, you know, a shake, some sort of something to startle the cat out of the way. But again, if the cat's uh, liking where he is at, uh, you might uh, be stuck with him. Uh, But uh, that's uh, some some suggestions. Uh, George, before the break, you were telling us about the state fossil uh, that you affectionately named Ziggy. Uh, Where did you find Ziggy? Ziggy was found in Yazoo County, Mississippi, uh, around 1970 by uh, one of the members of the North Mississippi Gem and Mineral Society who could have uh, easily uh, saved the discovery for herself and added it to her own personal collection. But um, that club, the Mississippi Gem and Mineral Society, to which she belongs, they're very philanthropic. Uh, They do lots of things for the uh, community. And so she shared it with the club, and the club uh, later shared it with us. Uh, It was dug up in a creek bed south of Tinsley, those creeks in Yazoo County are just fossil rich, as many of the Yazooans. Did I say that right? Yazooans? Right. Uh, uh, as I, many of them know, uh, we get lots of phone calls over the course of a year from folks in Yazoo County, uh, many of them finding whale bones or the bones of Ice Age animals. But uh, Ziggy was dug up by the club with some, uh, some help by maybe one or two experts, but it took the museum uh, hiring, once they got the funds, a proper... Uh, Preparator, uh, someone who conserves and reconstructs organisms, uh, skeletons. Um, they had to hire him, I think it was 1982, and he finished uh, assembling the skeleton, and it was hung, I think, b- b- shortly before the end of 1982. It's been hanging in the museum since then. Uh, what about, you know, modern technologies has made things maybe a lot easier for us in, in a number of respects. Has has increasing technology helped out in fossil discovery, fossil preservation? Uh, it has. Uh, we don't have the funds at the museum to <laughs> investigate that uh, technology, well, to implement that technology or to pur- purchase that kind of equipment. We're very basic. We find it the good old-fashioned ways with the eyes. <laughs> but there are types of remote sensing where they can um, detect fossils. We had uh, a, a, um, a business uh, called Tico. Uh, a local um, fellow, uh, Mark Teague of Tico Corporation, helped us in um, experimenting with a type of ground-penetrating radar back several years ago. And, you know, he offered those services for free, and unfortunately we never tried, tried to investigate that any further. And he recently called me to see if we could use that to detect whale bones. But... Um, that might be used uh, in addition at, at further locations, especially where we have a whale and we want to know exactly how it's laid out in there. Unfortunately, we don't have a whale on the ground at the moment, but as soon as we have a whale on the ground, something like gr- ground-penetrating radar can tell us how it's positioned. Say if just maybe the leg was exposed or part of the back, we can get some idea of, of a ground-penetrating using ground-penetrating radar to uh, identify its position before we start digging and and breaking bones. (laughs) Looks like we got a fossil-related question coming from Adam in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Adam. You're on the air. Hey. um, I had had saw on the Internet a a few days ago that they had discovered, and I'm sorry, I may not say this correct. Um, I'm just not very prepared. It was kind of ironic that this was actually on. Um, But they found a mastodon. a fossil here in America that was carbon dated at like 120,000 years old. And uh, it had some evidence that humans had um, been a part of that mastodon's death. Um, uh, and I was wondering, since since most of our evidence states humans at maybe 30,000 years, 20 to 30,000 years here in the Americas, um, what, what is your opinion on uh, you know, this postulation that this mastodon is, you know, 120,000 years old and humans were part of it. Well, I, I, I think you're uh, just in the interest of, of accuracy. Um, you did very good in asking your question, uh, but we want to point out that uh, the type of dating that they used was not radiocarbon dating. Oh, okay. uh, right. That's okay. 
Um, it's important to point that out because it only goes back to uh, 35, 40,000 years. But they used another type of radiometric dating that goes back for, further. I think it was uranium thorium. I can't remember. I haven't actually read the full scientific article. I've seen the media blurbs about it. I read in, uh, the abstract recently. But uh, I have not um, delved into the uh, details to uh, see exactly what's going on and what it involves. But it seems like it's legitimate. And there's been evidence all along that there was possibly older locations in North America and South America. But they didn't have the mountain of evidence, apparently, that is associated with this discovery in California. And they've basically dated it to a... um, a time when there was uh, another interglacial period. We off, uh, paleoclimatologists and paleontologists often divide up the last two and a half million years, that is the most recent ice age, into glacials and interglacials. And we often refer to it as the, the current lack of glaciation of northern North America as an interglacial. Well, the one before that is called the Sangamon Interglacial, and no real solid evidence of human occupation has been found quite that far back. But there's certainly been, uh, as you suggested, or you threw out the figure, 30,000 years old. Well, that's relatively accurate because there are some sites out there that were suggesting since the late 70s that there might be uh, evidence of humans in America that far back. But nothing quite as solid as apparently they have in uh, California at the moment. All right, Adam, thanks for your call. Uh, That's going to wrap us up for today. Just a reminder, again, uh, George will have a lecture at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science in Jackson uh, noon on Tuesday, May 2nd. He'll talk about the history of uh, fossil collecting uh, in the state and uh, in the the work that they have done at the museum. So um, that is going to wrap us up for today. As I mentioned, Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, uh, funding provided in part. Uh, by uh, Wildlife Mississippi. Uh, if you'd like to hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and the call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Dr. Troy Major and George Phillips, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.